today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Paul says that the overseer, the bishop, he has to be hospitable. That's not just inviting people into your home. It actually takes a much wider range. It's the the fullness of an attitude of care for individuals beyond the comfortable. In other words, getting out of our comfort zone to minister to people. It's the ability to love the unlovely and the unlovable. I don't know if you've noticed or not, or if you know the the truth of this or not, but not everybody that comes through these church doors are lovable, okay? Some, it really takes a, a, a huge effort to love them. Whether we're in a position of leadership and authority or not, loving others can be a struggle for each and every one of us. Whether it's a total stranger, an enemy from the past, or even someone who hates us, it can be difficult indeed. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us about one of the most important forms of love, hospitality. In our study, we learn that much more than an invitation to come into our homes, being hospitable to others can come in many forms and acts of kindness. Now here's Pastor David with part three of today's message, The Call of the Overseer, part one. What one does or is in one's private life has consequences for the church. Then he goes on to say, it follows that within Paul's holistic outlook, in other words, looking at the whole man, not just simply a checklist, but in Paul's holistic outlook, which brings together personal and domestic qualities, it's far more likely that he would stress fidelity within marriage. So the point of the phrase is probably not how often one can be married, nor precisely what constitutes a legitimate marriage, but rather how one conducts oneself in one's marriage. Is he a one-woman man? In other words, where is his heart? Where is his mind? What is the structure of his life right now? Now, we're going to move on. Paul's next characteristic is, is temperate, and that actually kind of goes right along with the idea of sober-mindedness. And both of these have the idea of not being led or directed by outside forces, being of a sound mind, having a controlled character, being clear-headed, being balanced, being serious about the responsibilities of leadership. Now, when I say serious about the responsibilities, that doesn't you know, say, well, if the guy's got a sense of humor, forget it. We don't want him as a pastor. I mean, if that were the case, you guys would be looking for a pastor. I'm sorry, but I enjoy a sense of humor. I, I, I enjoy just the, the freedoms that we have in Christ and, and just the humor of, of life. That's not what he's speaking about, but what he is speaking about 
is the individual that is in a leadership position, they have to know where and when humor must end and where a serious and a balanced attitude has to take precedence. You can't always be joking around. There's got to be times of serious discussion and serious work being done. Next we come, the the bishop, the elder, the pastor must also be of good behavior. It's like your mama used to tell you, behave yourself. You know, uh, the, the guy in leadership, the man that God puts in leadership within the church, he has to be of good behavior. Interesting enough, this is the same Greek word. Here we go with the Greek again. But it's the same Greek word that Paul uses over in chapter two of Timothy, kosmios, when, when he tells the women that they should dress in modest or kosmios apparel, in modest apparel. That word, kosmios, meaning having that meaning of modest. Now, you could probably guess when you look at that word, the root of that word is actually cosmos. Uh, you know, cosmos, all, all that's around us, our, our universe, the, the planets, the stars, the, the cosmos, everything that's there. And you can look and you see that that word also has the meaning or a direct interpretation of an orderly arrangement. Just like the universe, the stars stay their courses, the planets stay their courses, these things that God has set in order. So this whole idea then comes together that an elder or a bishop or an overseer, uh, again, he has to be of good behavior. There needs to be within his life a, a modesty, a respectability, and an organized life within him. Now, we move on and we look at one of the other things within the, the, within the church, within the responsibility of the elder, is the fact that the love for a stranger, an important part of the ministry, both in the early church as well as today. Paul says that the overseer, the bishop, he has to be hospitable. That's not just inviting people into your home. It actually takes a much wider range. It's the, the fullness of an attitude of care for individuals beyond the comfortable. In other words, getting out of our comfort zone to minister to people. It's the ability to love the unlovely and the unlovable. I don't know if you've noticed or not, or if you know the, the truth of this or not, but not everybody that comes through these church doors are lovable, okay? Some, it really takes a, a, a huge effort to love them. Now, I'm not speaking of any of you, but uh, in, in some of the other congregations, okay? Uh, some of the other times. But sometimes it's just difficult. Well, the responsibility of the leader is to show the love of Christ, even to the unlovely, even to those that are hard to love, because that's the call of Christ within our lives. Uh, an elder, a bishop, an overseer has to, be, has to have an open, he has to have a compassionate heart to the world that's around him. And sometimes when your heart is that open, sometimes your heart gets wounded greatly, but you can't close your heart because it's wounded. It has to remain open. That's the call of Christ on leadership. It's actually the call of Christ on all believers too. Within the gifts and the abilities of the pastor or the elder or the overseer, Paul also tells us that they need to be able to teach. And there's no doubt that some are, are, are gifted better in this category than, than others are. But 
it's not just in teaching that that holds true. I mean, in all of these categories, there's going to be some men that are that are better in, in, in loving. There's going to be some men that are better in hospitality. There's, there's differences there, but so it is with, with teaching. However, to be able to teach speaks directly about the individual's commitment to the study and to the understanding of the scriptures. If you're going to teach, if you're going to be in that position of teaching, man, you've got to be able to be in the word. If he's going to take that responsibility, he's got to be a willing and a faithful student of the word of God. And as they know and as they grow within the word, they have to be willing then and able to be able to share that word, both in a one-on-one type of a situation or a small group situation or in a larger corporate setting. Now we get to the next characteristic. Now this characteristic, this requirement that Paul gives here, it is as controversial, if not more controversial, than the one speaking of being the husband of one wife. Paul says that the bishop, the elder, or the pastor should not be given to wine. Now, I'm going to spend more time on this than is going to be comfortable for many of us, including myself, but because I know that within this congregation, within those that are hearing this message, the, the, the mixture of backgrounds, the, the mixture of traditions, the mixture of experiences, well, I, I believe that, again, we need to cover this, we need to cover it well with a clear understanding. And again... The interpretation of this portion of the verse is as diverse as our culture is old. I mean, it it goes the whole gamut. You could have come out of a tradition, a church tradition, where it's absolutely not an issue at all. You could come out uh, from another church tradition where it is very much an issue. To many, it is a very, very hot-button issue, this whole idea of taking of alcoholic beverages. Regardless of what side of the fence you're on, I need you to understand, I want to be careful to explain once again that I'm desiring to be true and I'm desiring to be clear in the interpretation of the word of God and then make practical application for us. Now, at the end of the study, you may or may not agree with me, but I do want to be and I want you to be a faithful student of God's word. And that's where I would encourage you to find out your own personal position in this whole area. So let's look at this. A a, a bishop uh, then must not be given to wine. The Greek word that Paul uses is peroinos, peroinos. Per coming from para, coming alongside, oinos, uh, again, speaking of wine. And it simply says, in this direct interpretation, staying near wine, or as is translated, given to wine. Now, I looked through several different commentators, and we're going to look at this in a moment to kind of get, okay, what do these different men say about this through the years? The first one I looked at was Adam Clark. Now, Adam Clark, late 1700s, early 1800s. When he looks at this verse, he says, this word not only signifies one who is inordinately attached to wine, but also one who is abusive and insolent because of that attachment to wine. 
Albert Barnes in the 1800s. He says that from this verse, it cannot be inferred from the use of the word here that wine was absolutely or entirely prohibited for the word does not properly express that idea. You go to Vincent's Word Studies, 1886. The verb paranois means to behave ill at wine, to treat with drunken violence. You come on down through the years, you go to the New American Commentary, 1992. The word describes one who is addicted to wine, but it does not prohibit the use of alcohol. Then we get to Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite commentators, 1996 in his commentary uh, on Timothy. The word describes a person who sits long with the cup and thus drinks to excess. Now that's a wide range of different commentators and different different, uh, resources. But I want to assure you, I did not go searching for just these definitions to give a clearance or an excuse for drinking wine. But I did want you to get an understanding of what the direct interpretation was. I also want to ensure you that nearly every one of these commentators listed, along with their commentary that was listed above, they moved from that strict interpretation of what the word meant to rightly and correctly explain the dangers of alcohol and the damage it's done through the years. So beloved, we need to remember, there always needs to be a clear interpretation before any application can be rightly given. If you don't have a clear interpretation, then you cannot apply the word correctly. And so that's what I'm trying to give you here. And beloved, I also know that within our culture, the abuse of alcohol and alcoholism continues to destroy individuals and families. I know that its abuse continues to destroy the potential of countless individuals through addiction. Man, this man, he could have been really something, except he got tied up and addicted to alcohol and it destroyed his life. This guy had a great future ahead of him, But because of his love for alcohol, it destroyed his drive, his passions, destroyed his family, destroyed his wealth, destroyed his health. I know, again, the abuse will destroy the potential. It's abuse. The abuse of alcohol literally has taken the lives of multitudes. When you take an average, and I believe it's from 2013 through 2016, 88 thousand lives a year are lost because of the abuse of alcohol. Now you need to understand because of the abuse of alcohol. Well, what do you mean by abuse? Driving while drinking? Drinking and then getting so drunk that you do foolish things that sets, that either takes someone else's life or your own life. Even today, the big sport on college campuses is binge drinking to where they just try to cram as much alcohol into the human body as they can in the shortest amount of time. And young men and young women both are dying. 88,000 a year is the average right now from everything from suicides, from someone who is in a drunken stupor, to automobile accidents, to binge, to all kinds of things, 88,000 deaths a year. Its abuse can clearly destroy a man, 
a minister and a ministry. So much discussion has been made through the years, though, as far as the use and the potency of wine during the first century as compared to today. And I've got to be honest with you. Not all of that discussion was based on good and honest research. Too many times we hear that, oh no, all of the wine that they drank, uh, particularly within the church, it was always watered down. Well, I beg to differ. When Jesus made the wine at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, I believe he made primo wine. I believe that he made some good stuff at that point in time. As a matter of fact, after the wedding, remember the, the, the master of the feast came to Jesus and said, or not to Jesus, but to the, the bridegroom, said, wow, that, you, you've saved the best to the last. That wouldn't have been watered down wine. We, we look at the church in Corinth and remember when they came together for what they called their agape fest, what was Paul's complaint to them? You guys are coming together and you're getting drunk. What's the deal with that? Paul was warning them about getting drunk at that feast. That would have been a lot of watered down wine in order to get that drunk and to get that abusive. So let's just be honest with what the word says, okay? In all fairness, the direct interpretation of the word, neither Jesus nor Paul prohibits the use of alcohol. And yet, they clearly do warn about addiction or abuse. Do not abuse it. Now, gang, I understand that for some of you that are here, alcohol abuse or alcoholism hits very close to home. You know firsthand within your own life the dangers that are involved with the use of alcohol. You know it either personally or you know it within your close family. Perhaps today you you might even be here today and you're currently addicted and you're regularly abusing alcohol in the privacy of your own home. Or maybe you are, you're actually fighting against that addiction. You're here today and you know one day at a time, man, one day at a time. I'm, I'm just trying to make it one day at a time. I understand that. I fully understand that for you, one drink would lead to destruction. But here in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is giving instructions and requirements for choosing those men who would lead and direct the local church body. And it was and is of utmost importance that those who lead the church have a life that is under control, a character and a lifestyle that is exemplary of the heart of Jesus, and a continuity of life that's able to be usable as a vessel for the kingdom of God and for his purposes. So over all things, we need to understand that. Now, along with that, I know that some individuals, some groups, some church denominations, they take very, very strong stands against remarriage of any sort. We had that move through our fellowship a few years ago. And man, if that guy found out that you were divorced, man, he would zero right in on you. And 
try to, uh, again, change that in your life. And uh, man, cause all kinds of havoc. There are those individuals, those church groups, those denominations, again, uh, very much against the drinking of alcoholic beverages of any sort. But in all fairness, we need to understand that they do that because they've seen the dangers. They've seen the destruction of the choices, either within their own lives or within the lives of other men throughout the years. And beloved, it is their right to take that stand both personally and as a group. But if we are brutally honest, we would understand that they take these stands due to experience and not solely and completely by the word of God. Does that make sense to you? And I I don't want you to be messed up on this thing, but I want you to understand, what does the word of God say? That's great. But you know what? I have convictions within my own life that for me, there there are other things that I've determined in my own. That is great. And Paul even commends that. He says, man, if, if that's where you're at, that's good for you. But you don't necessarily need to push that beyond on, on others. Looking and understanding, what does the word of God say? What are the personal convictions of my own heart? What are the weaknesses of my own flesh? All of these things coming into play. Let me try and wrap this up. All of the characteristics Paul gives for the bishop, the pastor, or the elder, they come together here to speak of the whole man. And when looking at the whole man, we cannot fairly judge a man's holiness, nor his righteousness, nor his usefulness within the kingdom of God based on whether or not he is divorced or rather he takes a drink or not. We have to look at the whole character. On top of all this, we need to remember Paul's admonition to the church at Ephesus also when he says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Beloved, personally, you may, you may not agree with me on these issues, but again, my encouragement to you is to allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God be your standard and to be your direction. We're not going to finish with the the requirements for the elders today. The thing I want you to understand, that the word of God is what we can stand on, what we can base our life on. And if we have within our own lives other directions and leadings, understand that is your personal direction, that's your personal leading, or that's the personal weakness within your life that, again, you need to get a hold of, otherwise you will not be usable for the kingdom of God. God's love for you, his love for me, his love for the world was so great that he sent Christ to die for each one of us because each one of us are a mess. Amen? Okay, I want to make sure we're still together. Each one of us are a mess. Each one of us have issues. Each one of us have areas in our life that we know, man, I'm just praying for a victory over that, and I keep seeking that victory over that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the grace and the mercy that is given to me through the cross and through the love of God the Father. Amen.
We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor David's study in the book of 1 Timothy. This book is filled with valuable instruction for church leadership, yet holds plenty of instruction for Christians in general. We can all be leaders in our own sphere of influence, and studying 1 Timothy will give us great insight into God's values in this area. We hope you've been encouraged by today's message on the open word. If you'd like to hear more teachings from this program, Pastor David's here to tell you how. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, the Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, or shared. Just go to theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take the Open Word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical teaching with you anytime, anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at our website, be sure to click on About for information about the ministry of The Open Word and more about Pastor David. There's also a link to Pastor David's blog, another great resource that looks deeper into what the Bible is teaching us. That website, once again, is theopenword.com. That's all we have time for here today on The Open Word. Join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of 1 Timothy, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.